In the link building community, talking and sharing ideas with each other is a great way to develop and iterate on each other's ideas. That's why I regularly talk with Sebastian and Eric from dofollow.io. Many of the best link building tactics and ideas that we've come up with at Authority Hacker have come out of discussions we've had with these guys. And I finally managed to pin them down and we're gonna have a super in-depth conversation about exactly how they do link building. We're gonna cover outreach, PR, scaling Haro, even some juicy link building automation techniques in there as well. So if you do any kind of link building, then you will not want to miss this episode. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Eric, Seb, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. Yeah, yeah, Happy thanks to be here. It's a pleasure. Can you first tell our audience about the, the the kind of quantity of link building you guys do? Because I, I know you do a lot, and I know you guys have built some particularly impressive links in the past. So, can you give everyone a flavor of of what you've done? It's actually probably not as much as people would imagine. We are uh, a boutique agency. So we probably build between 150 and 210 links per month over a span of maybe 12 to 16 clients, depending on, on the month. But what we focus on mostly is, is quality over quantity. So it's actually not, I mean, there are, there are like link brokers out there who, who build, you know, 5,000 links a month. That's not who we are. So we, it's a lot more boutique than that. Quality over quantity, then you would say. Quality over quantity, yeah. So what, what's the, the best link you've built recently? What type of sites are you, are you landing links on? I mean, we, we, through Harrow, we get quite a bit of really good links, like different nonprofit organizations and stuff like that, because we have some clients in like the health niche. We've gotten a client featured on Bloomberg.com recently. In the past, we've gotten clients featured on Forbes or Magento.com, Avo.com. Tier one stuff, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, tier one links. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, I'm I'm really interested to to get into exactly how you do that and how you kind of organize your agency to get those links for your your clients. But for anyone who kind of doesn't know you or doesn't know what you guys do, like what makes you guys so special when it comes to to link building? Why should people listen to the rest of this episode? Yeah. So first of all, we've just been through the ringer. You know, like we've sent hundreds of thousands of emails. We've dealt with deliverability issues over the years. We've dealt with conversion issues over the years. We've gone, we've done anything from manual to fully automated outreach back to manual again. In terms of, of the agency we are, who we are as an agency, we, you know, there are no shortage of link brokers out there and there are no shortage of, of sort of PR agencies out there. And I think there are very few people who marry the two together. You know, so we do, we have an SEO division, like an SEO link building division of the company. We have sort of like the PR link division of the company and we do a bit of everything. So I think that kind of separates us from the other people. Yeah. And maybe to jump in here, I think it's not just that Eric is a bit of a wizard when it comes to link building, but we also managed, maybe for the agency people out there, we managed to build a high six-figure agency that is actually not a pain to run. I think that's um, also given your experience and what you shared on your podcast um, earlier is also uh, something that uh, makes us, I think, quite unique in, in the space. So we, we married two very interesting approaches that... And make something unique. That is very interesting. I feel like you've done the the impossible there. Uh, as as someone who used to run a, a link building agency themselves, I find it hard to kind of 
get my head around like building it in such a way that it's fun to run, but I'm sure we'll get into that in, in this show. I just want to start though by diving into your kind of how you guys met because you guys kind of met through Authority Hacker, is that right? Yeah, it's an Authority Hacker baby for sure, the agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think we started talking quite early um, when we were running our own sites. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. we were part of the community and building sites. Uh, we started talking. Um, also, Mark Jenner, who is a bit of a uh, like a special person in the community, everyone knows him. Um, we were like us three were were talking quite a lot, and then we crashed your team event in Budapest. And that's how we actually met the first time, and that's how it all got started. So it's it's really an authority hacker story. That's awesome. Uh, so you know, if anyone else is out there listening, you know, just come along and crash our our events in, in Budapest. And, and <laughs> that's you your road to success. success. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my brother, well, he used to work for you guys, and he never travels. And I was already in Europe, and Sebastian and Mark already lived in Europe. Yeah, so like I just invited myself, and then uh, I invited Sebastian, and then we invited Mark Jenner, and so we all just like crashed your guys' event in Budapest. And that's how, uh, yeah, that's how Sebastian and I met for the first time. Yeah, I, I seem to remember, I don't know if it was that night, but like one of our employees may or may not have been drinking with you guys and got very, very drunk and was not very, it was not in a very good way the, the next day, shall we say. Yeah. What happens in Budapest stays in Budapest, right? <laughs> So when it comes to working with with clients and deciding which types of link building you want to do, a client comes to you and they say, hey, guys, we need some link. How do you decide what strategies you're gonna you're gonna use with that client? Well, really, in, in the discovery call, we listen to the client. You know, we listen to what they're trying to do. People don't come to us looking for full boat SEO. They don't come to us looking to develop some sort of strategy for them. Usually, almost always, people come to us and they just want to. They have their own set SEO team. They have their own set content team. They are struggling with links, so they reach out to us and they try to just kind of join them with their their existing content and SEO strategy, so that we let them kind of set set the pages that we're going to be building links to the, the strategy. Usually, it's they want uh, like a PR approach. They want us to be getting you know big links you know to the homepage, to the root domain, and then they want us to they want us to build links to specific pages on the site. We like to make sure that we have enough to work with. So, you know, we really like them to allow us to build links to any page on the site that we feel fit because a link's a link. And we find opportunities because our, our team, you know, we're always doing competitor analysis and we find opportunities and we don't want to turn down a link just because it's not going to some commercial page or something like that. So, so we try to find a good synergy with our team, but also what the client's looking for. And maybe to add to that, I think we look more on relevancy than what type of link like do, or, or what type of outreach we're going to do. It's not like, okay, for that client, we just do Haro unless that's a special request. But it's like, okay, what type of links are highly relevant to the target pages? Yeah, relevancy. And then we go from there and just find relevant opportunities across all outreach options we have. Right. So our focus is just make it a natural looking backlink profile instead of just Okay, just guest posts, right? That's something we would never do because it's not really an organic 
backlink profile. And we have so many good teams. You know, we have a, a full uh, Harrow team. We have, you know, a core link building team that all they do is competitor analysis. We have a small, you know, PR division. So we don't like to be pigeonholed into one strategy. We really like them to go into this with an open mind and, and say, okay, you know, fire at all cylinders, just get us good links, you know. Something I remember from back in our agency days was it was a lot easier to build links to clients that had really good sites and really great content. How do you ensure they have that? And do you create the content yourself if they don't, or how do you manage it? We are very picky <clears throat> with our clients. You know, like I said, we have, you know, I think we have about 16 clients or so right now. We turn down probably 80 to 90% of people who come to us because we it's either a niche that we don't feel completely comfortable with or their site, they don't have a good content strategy, they don't have a lot of content on the site. So we turn down most people who come to us. And if we do take them on, yeah, we make sure that they have content that we think we can work with that you know gives us a lot of opportunities to go for a lot of different prospects. If we don't think we can have success with them, we're not going to waste their time or our time. You know. Yeah. And I think that's maybe a good lesson for all the agency guys out there that are listening. How to select clients is one of the major success factors, I believe, that, that attributed to our success, simply because there's synergy created by selecting the right clients and really making sure that you, first of all, can do something and really can make a change for them. But there's also how it impacts your internal processes, right? It's the same if you have multiple sites. It's probably better to have multiple sites in the same niche because the synergies created are a lot higher. Your team knows the space. You don't have to learn something new. You know link opportunities, right? So there's a lot of synergy created just at the first point of contact by choosing clients that are a good fit so you can create and make the best uh, impact for them. How do you do that initially though? Because when, you, when you're first starting, I mean, I remember when we started our agency, we would literally take anybody and okay, you know, if you're if you're a six-figure agency, it's very easy to to be a bit bit more picky. But uh, surely that comes a little bit later, no? Yeah, I think in the beginning we didn't think about that, but that also caused more pain <laughs> to be, to be honest. And sometimes that's what you have to endure, right? The, the early days you can probably not you can't cherry pick, but if you can, if that's an option, if you can think about first like your go-to-market strategy and like what niche you want to focus on. It's the saying, the riches are in the niches. If you can pre-select where you're going to be active and which clients you're going to work uh, with, then that's already an advantage that you will have over others. And we see other um, other agencies in, in very specific spaces where it's just about e-commerce, for instance. And all they do is uh, working with Shopify owners. And that, that gives them an advantage because they already know a lot. So I think even without having a six-figure agency, you can pick your battles. And if you pick your battles wisely, it will give you an initial advantage. In the beginning, we we did the same thing. We took on just kind of anybody who who came to us. We we made some probably unfavorable choices when it came to the clients. We were because we just I mean we were just trying to build a business. So we would come to anybody. We would give them a discount if that's what they wanted. You know, like we would, they, we let them run the show, and then you know eventually we built enough momentum that we're able to you know charge a premium price, choose the clients on our on our you know on our terms, and. That's really when we started to scale. And how do you actually go about pricing a link building service these days? I, I remember when we were doing it, this was like seven, eight years ago now, uh, maybe even more, we would 
we had some clients who would pay us a certain amount of money per month, and then they would just kind of like get our work for that. Um, and then we we tried to make like a productized service where we would sell you know one link for a hundred bucks or however much it was. But then if it was above a certain threshold of DR DA, it was it was more like uh, how do you guys approach that being a, a boutique agency as you call it? We changed our pricing multiple times, and that's also. Uh, learning, right? It's like we didn't start out at the right price point. I think in the beginning, we were very clear that we didn't want to have a retainer model because we, we saw that as not, not fair to the client. They pay us a fixed fee and we do something, but they don't have, have a guarantee of the, the results in the end. And also, I think there was a USP for us to, to switch the model, to take on the risks on our end and say, okay, you pay us after work has been delivered. Right? So that's, that's already a, a pricing strategy that I think set us apart. But then the second step was, okay, we want to have a performance-based pricing because just like having a set dollar amount per link didn't make sense if we built a DR30 link and we, we measure our like price based on DR. But if we have a DR30 link, that should cost less than a DR80 link, obviously. So we started there and then we just went with our guts and started way too low, to be honest. Um, and then we had to iterate. We had our ch uh, to change our pricing twice to get to where we are these days. It's not an exact science. So the easiest thing you can do is find someone, find someone who you admire in the space and copy them. And then from there, you do take your own steps after you have achieve some some level of security and knowledge in this space. Okay, cool. So let's dive into some of the actual tactics which you guys are employing. What is in the do-follow arsenal of link building tactics these days? Yeah, we do. I mean, we do a little bit of everything. We try to get creative based on what the client needs. Um, honestly, like a lot of clients just want links to uh, like commercial pages. So with that, it leaves us with paid links. Paid links are a good tool. And in a lot of ways, they're not really, I mean, they're a lot of work because you have to do a lot of due diligence with paid links, you know? So we have like a full spreadsheet of factors that we look into when we're analyzing a paid link, you know, anything from traffic sources to traffic trends to what keywords they're ranking for to the health of the backlink profile to, you know, the ratio of, 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 of links and, you know, even design, you know, we just do like a smell test when we're looking at them. But we do that because we do a lot of that because clients, a lot of clients want links to hard to reach pay, uh, harder to reach places. And we, uh, for example, we worked with one of the largest API marketplaces on the web and they only wanted links to like these really specific API documentation pages, stuff that nobody would ever link to, you know? So basically we built like, and, th and they know this, all of our clients know this going to, but we built like a year and a half worth of, of like just paid links, you know? We do a lot of Harrow. We have a, a three, almost four person Harrow team each, client gets a dedicated Harrow writer based on the niche. So we segment both our core link building team and our, our Harrow team, outreach team, based on niche. So everybody has synergies. Everybody kind of works with the same type of niche. So, you know, somebody who's working with a hosting client isn't going to be working with, you know, a keto diet client, you know. So we do a lot of Harrow outreach as well. That's working really well for us. Do you specifically go for on-topic Harrow queries. So if you have a keto client, do you are you answering keto nutrition type type queries or do you like branch out into working from home or other businessy stuff that is a little bit more general? Yeah, 
honestly, I'm trying to get our Harrow team to be a bit more open-minded when it comes to that. They, they go for relevancy first, but a lot of times our clients, they like to have, they're looking, I mean, they're guys like us who are just running sites, you know? So they, at the end of the day, they just want to link. So sometimes if we're writing as a C-level executive for on behalf of a client, then it allows us to kind of branch out into more general business stuff. Sometimes we were writing as, you know, maybe it's like a, a certain technical position for a team or like a health-related specific person, like a nurse or something like that. That would make a whole lot of sense if we're, reach, if we're trying to, you know, answer like general business-related stuff. But if the opportunity allows us, we, we answer more business, just more general-related stuff. And, and how effective or how productive is a, a typical full-time employee at, at responding to Harrow crews? I mean, like how many, how long does it take on average for, for someone to, to respond to one? I think the response time, it really depends on, on the topic, right? But I would say roughly 15 to 30 minutes for, for response, it re- but it really depends if it's a highly complex topic where a lot of research is, is needed, that obviously takes longer. But in the end, that's why we have specialized writers, so they know what they're talking about, they have a background in that space, and it's not a, a generalized uh, writer we got off of Fiverr or something, right? So that's something we would never do. And again, that goes back to creating synergy, have specialized people in place, and then also find clients that fit those niches that we can provide. But in the end, 15 to 30 minutes. And as you know, we've built a whole tool to manage Haro for us to speed up the process, right? In the end, our goal is to reduce the time that any, anyone on our team really needs to execute the task, right? And that's that's more my side of the business to look at, okay, how do the processes look like? And where is like the most amount of time lost in something that can be automated or can be optimized? And then I jump in and try to figure out a process on how to improve that. For Haro, it was, okay, a writer needs to go through every email every day and scan it for certain keywords. That doesn't make sense. Let's build a tool where you can just type in a search and it will go through all of the um, all of the queries and find you the queries that have that keyword in it. Then they need to understand, is it a good site? They need DR, they need traffic. Doesn't make sense for them to go on address and look for it. So we pulled it into the tool so they can just have it right there, right next to the query, right? So small things. I think that's a, it's a good thinking for, for everyone out there who's building sites or running an agency. Look at what is costing your people time to execute a task and then optimize around that. And that's a lot what we do. So we're getting faster and faster, to be honest. Mm-hmm. We also, we're playing with different models, but at the currently we pay writers either by the query or by the word. So, and, and they have incentives or they have bonuses if they land live links that we can actually charge our clients for. So they have the incentive to be productive. How big are the bonus, like relative, if, if you don't mind me asking? 15% right now. So it's, but we, we charge premium price for our links. And, you know, from Harrow, they're usually DR60 to DR80 plus links, yeah. you know. So um, for a writer, you know, they're getting paid by either the query or the word. And then once they land bonuses, you know, a lot of times that's like 120 bucks or so. So it's a, a good deal for them. It also incentivizes them to 
do more because their goal is to earn more money. So they will spend some of their free time learning about the space. They will browse their client's website to understand it better, right? And that's not time necessarily they can charge for, but it will pay off. And I think it's a good incentive system for also if you want to do this for your own sites. Think about what incentivizes your writers to do a really good job. In our case, that's through giving them a share of what we charge for the for the link. I really like that. Actually, I'm a big fan of trying to align incentives correctly so everyone can do their best work. At the moment, I think most of our Harrow people are actually paid. Some of them are normal writers who, when they're creating blog content, we, we pay them per word, obviously. But for whatever reason, when they're doing Harrow, we pay them per hour. And I mean, they're not particularly slow. I mean, say like 20 minutes or so is about the average time it takes to, to respond to one plus, you know, looking through the, the list and all that. But I think that's a really good idea. I think I'm going to implement this uh, this bonus structure <laughs> as a way of, as you said, getting them to really care about getting the result. Because that's all that matters at the end of the day, not how many queries they they respond to. It's been pretty amazing to watch. You know, um, they really uh, because they know they're going to make more money. You know, so it's been pre- it's been pretty amazing to watch. Like how because we you know if we find a good article on Harrow or a good video or something, we'll send it to them and. And they really take ownership over their over their clients over the over the processes, and they learn as much as they can. They take notes, you know. They they measure their own metrics, and they do a really good job. And, and I think that's you know because of the of the of the bonus system that we've implemented. It's a lot easier to do as an agency, you know, because you have your clients essentially paying for those links, and and we just we make less, you know, there's less profit per link, but it's a good incentivizer for. For the writer, and just to back up a sec, I mean, you mentioned uh, paid links a, a, a little while ago. How are you actually going about identifying prospects for that, and what are you sending to them to start that discussion? Yeah, I mean, we've done just so much outreach over the years that you know, when we first started out, we didn't do paid links at all. Uh, we really didn't start doing it until people started asking us to do it for them. But we would just send out tons and tons of outreach emails that were either skyscraper or or some form of, of link building. And we would get people saying, you know, no, I'm not going to make the edit, but if you gave me a hundred bucks or something like that, I'll do it. So we've just kind of started aggregating all of those and we built a database. So that's part of it. We do a lot of outreach based on, so if we're, if we're mining for paid links, We'll go to a site that we know sells links, and then we will analyze all, or we'll export all the outbound links, and then we'll look at all the, the backlink profiles of all those outbound links because we know that they pay for links as well. So if we, so if we can find you know, a site that's relevant to our client, we will find a ton of other sites out there. I love that, it. That's, uh, that's that, a, that, such <laughs> a great idea, actually. Uh, I, yeah. don't, I don't think we've done that before. So awesome. Yeah. So if we have, yeah, if there's a site in the health niche that pays for links, we'll look at all the outbound links, especially if it's like a, you know, if, it, if it's a site that's, that's getting links to like specific money pages. Uh, and we do that as well. We'll look into the SERPs for like what's ranking for certain like money keywords. And we'll look at the backlinks of those pages for, for our clients. Because, you know, if, if it's a best gaming mouse and it has 161 links to it, this, those are probably all going to be paid, you know? So we have a, a lot of cool little tricks that we use to find paid link opportunities. And we also, we try to, as much as we can, connect with contributors instead of actual site owners. So if we can find contributors 
that have like basically like insert a link that you know into the writing. You bribe the writer. Yeah, so we'll nice, try to nice. bribe a writer over like you know because a site if if it's you know, the owner of a site that eventually turns into a business model for them. Sure, you know sure. they're just you know the site I think over time might lose some integrity, but you know if you're just trying to connect with the writer then that's you know that's. You can you can still you'll still know that that site in general will have editorial standards. I think we're trying to stay away from the link farms out there, right? It's like paid links have a pretty bad rep, and it's understandable. But only if you do it like everyone else is doing it, and you just go for all the lists that are out there, and you, you just buy it like ten at a discount, and you know uh, that's not what we're trying to do. We're still trying to keep our quality standards at the same time using paid links. What do you specifically look to avoid when you're looking uh, to, to assess quality? Because I know we can talk about like measurable metrics like DR and, and, and traffic, but from like a objective quality perspective, uh, how, how do you say, oh, this is a good site, this is a bad site? I'm going to like think about that one for a second. Yeah, because I'm trying to think of, I mean, because it's usually, we have a list of like metrics that we use. So what are they? So like we look at traffic, traffic source. We look at like what's keywords there. How much traffic is is important? Sure. Yeah. So we look at it needs to have at least a thousand a thousand estimated traffic through Ahrefs per month. We want to make sure that the traffic sources are sources that are cl- from the audiences our clients are trying to target. So if it's a U.S. based site, we try to make sure that they have links. or they have the traffic source from like the US or the UK or maybe Australia. There's a lot of people who can kind of pump up the estimated traffic numbers, use like trying to target like really weird long tail keywords, like a certain C-listing celebrities net worth or something like that, or like watch X movie on Put Locker or something like that. And that will kind of pump up the numbers, but we try to make sure that site is actually ranking for keywords that are relevant to relevant to like the audience. And then what are you actually saying when you're outreaching to to these people then? Yeah. I mean, we we use all sorts of different scripts, but we try to make it pretty clear that it's like worth their while, you know, that we're gonna we're looking to pay for a link. If it's that sort of site, not for all the outreach we do, but for if it's that sort of site, we try to make it we try to get their attention. You know, we know that this is for a lot of people, this is how they make money, you know, or this is one avenue for them. So to make how money. how would like someone listening at the home, okay, get their attention? How do I do that? Yeah. So we would just say in the email, what would it take to get a, a, a link on X site? We're happy to pay for this. Something okay. as simple. So you as just that. come out and say well, you'll pay for yeah. it in the first email. Okay. Yeah, and and okay. we're not doing that on behalf of the clients. We're doing it on with our own internal email addresses. So it's not a client reaching out, getting somebody's negative attention that way. It's us reaching out with our own internal emails. And that's another thing I would I would I would recommend. You know, if you are doing this sort of of outreach, you know, just blatantly trying to get paid links, which we do a lot more than that. But that's one thing we do. Uh, then I would try to use some sort of third. Third-party email, you know. Yeah, no, it's it's really interesting. It's like we really just dipping our toes into the whole paid link scene on uh, on one of our sites at, at the moment. Something we we've really shied away for from for quite a long time actually, and it's a lot different to what I expected. I thought it'd be easy to find loads of loads of prospects, but in in a way, it's it's almost more time-consuming to find like the good sites that you pay for than it is to find like good sites that you don't have to pay for. And then there's yeah. like the whole negotiation thing as well, which is a whole whole different thing. Speaking of which, how do you guys like get the price down or ne- negotiate? I mean, I've I've been to 
talking to sites like DR40 and they come back, oh, seven hundred dollars. It's, it's <laughs> like, and then, and then a DR80 site so offering twenty five dollars. It feels yeah. like site owners don't really have much of a clue what the the sites are worth. Yeah. So just one other thing I, I wanted to touch on before I answered that specific question, but you're so right about it being time consuming. And that's why, you know, first of all, we're upfront with our clients that we do paid, we do paid links, but you know, it's really, we're, they don't want to be involved in that process. So like these are technically, you know, if it, they could go to one of these link brokers that has a big database and you can just go in and like order these email or order these links that you want. But it's almost, it's, it's so time consuming to have somebody go through and really choose you know, do the do their due diligence and choose the best link for you. That's why you know our clients are are they're happy with us doing that on their behalf because it saves them so much time. In terms of of the price of paid links, we're we are transparent with all of our core link builders, our employees about what we charge our clients, and we try to shoot for about a. We try to basically anytime they come at with at us with a price, we'll just try to half it at least each time. So we're trying to shoot for you know about fifty percent or so. Of the price they give us, and once they come back to you with like a counter offer, what, where do you go from there? Would you have any any good tactics you can share with us for things to say here? Yeah, so for on the agency side, that's why we like to you know segment different niches with different people because if you do bulk orders, you know you can get a better price. We at the end of the day, these people, this is how they make money a lot of times is selling links. So if you say, you know, if you just, it's, it's like this classic negotiation tactics, you know, like, okay, uh, no, that price actually isn't going to work for me. I think, I think we'll just, you know, we'll pass on this one. I mean, almost always they're going to come back and say, okay, okay, okay. We'll do it for a hundred <laughs> bucks, you know? So, I mean, it's really, they're trying to get as much as they, as much as they possibly can. That's why you have the DR forties coming back with like 700 bucks or something like that. Cause you know, there are huge agencies out there that 700 bucks is a drop in the water. That doesn't matter to them, you know, to us price does matter, you know? So we, anything that come to us, we try to basically just get it down as low as we possibly can. We try to do bulk orders. We try to, we have the team communicate a lot saying, Hey, I found this opportunity. Do you guys, can you guys find any any opportunities on the site? Because I'm going to place an order. Maybe if we bulk them together, we'll get a better price. Yeah. And maybe one thing is when you get an offer for like $700, oftentimes, and that's not a general rule, but that's a site to avoid because that's someone just wanting to make money with a web assets he or she owns. So be a bit careful about that, right? It's not just that they don't know, but that they're trying to monetize as much as possible. And that will attract a lot of people who will just, and they, they probably sell it to everyone that could include casino sites and, and whatnot, right? That's not the neighborhood you want to be in. So be careful about that as well and do your due diligence. And then maybe one, one tactic uh, we use, I mean, in, in the end, our people use us to say, sorry, I cannot do that. Right? I say, my boss says, no, this is like a $40 tops, cannot go above that, I'm sorry. And that's, that works quite well, right? So they, they are not the enemy in the conversation. We are. So, and then they can play around that and, and be the, the good guy and trying to find a middle ground somewhere, right? Which is actually true and it works, works quite well. That's actually an interesting idea. I'm just thinking from a, like an authority site perspective, it's, it's quite sort of classic that you, you outreach as the, the site owner and you're ideally yourself if you're the person, person running, running the site, but maybe. Pretending to be like a one level below, like a manager, or a, you know, outreach person, you can then use the the boss scenario in there to to make the boss the enemy, so 
uh, and create fake restrictions essentially that's interesting yeah have to try it, that. it's not not fake in our sense right no, but for, no. for, for a website <laughs> owner yes it's probably also not fake for you because you will not be able to pay more so use that tactic because it's very effective and people understand it that's the interesting thing because you're not fighting over something you don't have control over in that sense so it it stops a lot of negotiation and a lot of back and forth which saves time which is also money in that sense. Yeah, and I, I agree about the the willingness to walk away. I mean, all of the classic negotiation tactics you use at, uh, you know, when you're in Morocco at the bizarre market trying <laughs> yeah. to haggle over a, a headscarf or something, like all of that, like walking away, it seems to just work with, with uh, website link negotiation. I, I think, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I think it's like, from the site owner's perspective, they they can sell basically unlimited amount of links to whoever's coming. So if they say no to you because like the price was too low, they've lost whatever it was you were going to offer, and they're not going to get that back. They can't sell it to someone else because they they've just lost you as a client. So I feel like everyone, even if they say they don't negotiate, they really do. Yeah, we've had people come to us with like a you know a thousand plus dollars for a link and saying, okay, we're not going to budge on this. And then, yeah, I mean, we'll get it down to like three hundred bucks or something like that. You know, like it's there's they're always willing to negotiate, and that's what I always try to remind the team is like this is, you know, this is an, a, a revenue avenue for them. They're either going to get something, or they're going to get nothing, and it's it's literally two minutes of their time. Yeah, and maybe another thing is. Don't connect the price to the quality, right? That's another thing. Oftentimes, the really good links don't cost that much, but they're just a lot harder to reach because it's like a bigger company and you have to go through multiple people at their media department and they have order forms. You know, it's like really old school sometimes, but the links are amazing and it's not something everyone can get. So finding those opportunities is much better than going with a guy who wants 700 bucks for a DR40 link. So we, we talked about sort of classic like paid link outreach stuff. We talked about Haro. What are some of the other tactics which you guys are working on at the moment? Yeah, we do a lot of resource pages as well. We're doing resource pages for a client right now who who just wants, uh, they're sort of in like the job market. Their niche is the job market or career. And they only want, or they want links from like university, like like career for like those career pages for like st like students who are about to graduate and they need like university they need like job resources so one of the things that we did was we like my favorite tool in Ahrefs is like that little search bar in the backlink pro like when you open a backlink profile there's a little search bar because you can do so much with that so one of the things that we did is we would we just went through all the biggest competitors uh, of our clients and we just searched .edu uh, that little search bar and it gave us only university websites and like almost all of them are those exact things that that client wanted. They wanted those, those sort of, those sort of like career and, and job resource pages, those evergreen pages on site. So it gave us, it gives us a list of like 600 of universities who actively reach out to third or actively link out to, to third party sites, just like our clients. So another way that we use that is, and this is, you know, this can be used with any, any niche, really any site owner is just to find the biggest niche or, or the biggest uh, site in your niche. So we were selling or we were building links for a, it was like a Medicare insurance broker. So we just like typed in medicare.gov, which has like 70,000 referring domains or something like that. And in the backlink profile, we just searched by either the keyword links or the keyword research uh, resources. And it gives us a, a list of like, you know, 
2000 plus resource pages. And it's actually, it's really, if you use the, the search qualifiers, right, it's, it's really accurate actually. So we build resource page lists like that, which work really well for us. What types of sites typically have resource pages then? So it's not something I've come across all that often. I mean, it's more sites that have been, a, it used to be a bigger thing, right? You know, kind of before there were big search engines, there were sites that, you know, that's kind of how you navigated the web is you would find a site and they would have a resource page section and that's how you would find other sites in that niche. You know, but those still exist. Those links pages and resource pages still exist. They exist more, I would say, on on kind of larger sites, you know, like the .govs, like the .edus, but, or like the nonprofits or whatever, but they still exist. But um, yeah, I guess it just depends on the niche. But I mean, I, I we've I've been able to find. I think they kind of max out, you know. So you can kind of find maybe a list of fifteen hundred or, or, or two thousand sites, you know, max within a niche. But it doesn't, you know, it seems to kind of max out around there. How do you get the link on there? Do they just have like a contact us to get your link on here type page or? Exactly. I mean, almost always they have some sort of email on that page or like a uh, some sort of submission page or something like that, which is still fine. It still goes through an editorial process. It still has to, you know, these aren't like user generated links or anything like that. But those are actually really easy to get in contact with because they always have some sort of, if you, if you have some site you want to submit to this page, you know, email is here. And do you have yeah. to do anything to kind of stand out from everyone else? Or are these sites getting bombarded with other SEOs that often or is it pretty easy? It depends. You know, we have we're we've been trying new avenues of outreach. So, you know, we used to do I used to do really highly like manual like styles of outreach. And then we went to like fully automated stuff, like just as many emails out as we possibly can, uh, sort of approach, and and uh, you know within the past year or so we've we've tried a a, a outreach platform called Respana, and that allows you to personalize at scale your outreach. So that's worked pretty well for us. More, I mean that that actually probably works better. The Respana works better for like the sh- the skyscraper style emails because you can actually pick parts of like the you can actually quote parts of the of the article you know in your outreach email and stuff like that. But it also allows you to try to you can to try to write you know find the right person and whatnot. But these days we try to when we're when we're doing outreach we try to personalize all the emails that are going out so it's not just like a big template because those do seem those do tend, tend to get ignored. So you mentioned Respana there, but what other tools do you use for managing all these different types of, of link building? Respana is probably the main outreach platform that we use in the past year. We've also used Pitchbox. We don't use Pitchbox anymore. We've also, I think we still why, use why not? MailStream. Pitchbox, it was a bit clunky for us. So we were also, when we stopped using Pitchbox, we were kind of in the process of, you know, we, there was a there was a period of time where we were just doing a bunch of like shotgun uh, style skyscraper. We got to a point where that kind of stopped working. And so we had to basically rebuild a lot of our outreach processes. Uh, also, Pitchbox is, was, was pretty expensive at the time for what we were getting out of it. So I think you can honestly, you can get the same results from using something like Respana or even like Mailshake. And are you guys using like Hunter for finding email addresses? Does Respana do that? I've never actually used Respana. Respana has their own internal email finding system. So they use like LinkedIn and a couple other avenues to find like the right email. You have to do it manually. So you manually go and so like they'll find emails for you, but you manually select the one you want to use, uh, which is pretty useful, but it's, it's also time consuming. We still use Hunter. 
Yeah. And snuff.io or snovio. I'm not really sure what the, the exact name uh, is. How is that these days? I remember testing it like four or five years ago and, and the quality was was pretty bad back then. Has it gotten a lot better? It seems to be better, yeah. So we, we still use both, but it's almost on par with Hunter these days, at least from, from our tests. But it's also pretty early, so I, I don't have a final final verdict on it yet. Awesome. And so tell me about uh, digital PR stuff that you've, you've done. Because um, I, I know you mentioned you you had a few people sort of working on that kind of stuff. Yeah, so that's, that's a newly deployed team for us, and we're still kind of in the early stages of running tests. But yeah, we've invested in uh, Cision Connect Plus. That's just basically you know, the largest journalist database out there. You can, you can find journalist beats based on, you know, certain keywords that you're trying to target or uh, certain media outlets. So we use that for outreach that hasn't produced a ton of results, but we also haven't used it that much. We started, we worked with one of our clients. Um, The election was really relevant to one of our clients with a specific angle. So when the U.S. election happened, we built a an outreach piece or basically like a PR piece that there, I guess there was kind of the news jacking angle in general, just about like, you know, President Biden being elected. But we also did a, a, a an original survey. So we surveyed 500 Republicans and 500 Democrats and and we, we created some an infographic and some some data visualization with with those results. What tool did you use to do the survey? Was that Google or SurveyMonkey or something? Survey Monkey is what we use for that. And then we built like a really good piece out of that and, and we're doing outreach with that. We've gotten some good results with that. So basically we did it in the form of a press release, but it was not like, you know, your your Hoth press releases where you just send something out and it gets aggregated a bunch or it gets syndicated a bunch between different platforms, you know, for like six months or something like that. So we did it. We actually connect, try to connect with with journalists pitching the piece, but also pitching like our advice as experts or on behalf of our client as experts. And that's another thing that we've been doing recently. And it's sort of like reverse Harrow, you know, so if you are reaching out on behalf of a client, you can kind of reach out and say, Hey, you know, this, this, and this is going on in this realm. You know, we have an expert here uh, who can talk about it. Do you want to connect with him? We sort of reach out on behalf of our client. Sometimes our, our client actually is the one responding to those things. Like we have a client in like the cybersecurity space and he's actually the one that's, that's responding because he's like a legit, you know, expert. But with our other clients, we're doing it, we're, we just started doing it for a couple other clients and, you know, we just have kind of our writers respond on behalf of them doing research. But maybe to quickly jump in here, because that that's like the, the upper end of what we do. But we, we started news checking um, very early, actually. And I think even our first client, and that is something everyone out there can do. What we did back then, it was a client, an e-commerce client in the, the outdoor space. And that was the time of all the wildfires out there. Right? So what we did is we recommended, hey, this is a hot topic right now. Just write us a piece about camping safety, fire safety while being on a hike. And then we reached out. We actually scraped all the news sites out there that were talking about the wildfires. And we pitched to them, hey, this is a big problem. This is how you prevent it. And we got a ton of really, really good links from that. And that didn't cost much, right? It's, it was an article no. that was done in, in a day. But the urgency and that it was such a media topic at that point propelled it to be something much bigger than the article alone would have never been a good link target. So how do you come up with that 
those kinds of ideas? Are you looking at what's in the news today? And then you're like, well, what can we get produced, you know, in 24 hours? Yeah. We, I mean, in the early stages, we would just, I mean, Sebastian and I would just come up, come up with ideas. You know, we would just, we would just have a rap session because that's when we were the ones doing all this stuff, you know? So we would, you know, say, okay, you know, what's going on in the world of, in that particular, for that particular client camping or outdoors. And that was a, a hot topic. So we just kind of brainstormed. That's what we came up with. To streamline it a bit more, Reddit's a really good tool. Reddit seems to always kind of be like one step ahead of the news, you know? And I think Brian Dean has a has a tool now called Exploding Topics that uh, shows kind of the growth growth trends of, of each topic, and that's another good tool. That's the one we just kind of kind of started playing with. And there are tools where for Reddit specifically where you can see exploding topics per se, right, or exploding subreddits, so you can see the signups per day and over a period of time, and you say, okay, something is going on. Let's take a look. And then if you have clients or if you if you're in a specific niche, just monitor that for your space and you will find interesting angles to use. Okay, so are, are there any other link building tactics that you want to talk about? I mean, we do guest posts, resource pages, organic outreach, so the, the, the usual stuff. I think, again, our goal is to be relevant and organic. So we have a lot of tactics, but I would say guest posts um, and, and so on is something you talk quite a lot about. Let's talk about guest posting then. So when it comes to when it comes to guest posting, how do you differentiate between guest posting for guest posting versus paid links outreach in in, in the sort of vein of, of guest posting? Because isn't there quite a big overlap between the two? Yeah, I would say that guest posting for us is kind of like a secondary tactic. You know, guest posts are like really resource intensive. And so, you know, if we're doing outreach for somebody and they say, you know, we're not going to we're not going to insert the link there, but if you want to write an original guest post, we can do that. In terms, I mean, so really it's kind of something that it's, you know, when we've exhausted other avenues, because, you know, I have like, I still have like PTSD from running like a guest posting service back in the day because it was like so resource intensive to, you know, to have the, the to, to have them agree to a topic and then, and then have the topic, uh, have a writer write it up and then, ha- you know, actually have them post it. And then you have to make sure that they didn't take the link out and no follow the link or something like that. It, it was really exhausting. So these days, you know, if we do guest posts, it's usually because we've exhausted other avenues. And that's kind of like, you know, we're not going to do that. But if you want to write a post and, and insert a link, we can, you know, we'll, we'll publish it if it's good enough. So that's usually what we'll do. We'll, we'll do. So, you know, it's kind of something we used to. We just, you know, if, if that's kind of the last resort to get a link, you know, for our clients, then we'll, then we'll do that. Yeah. But you can also, you can mine guest posts pretty well if you use, you know, like your niche and then one of the qualifiers write for us or, or submit an article, whatever it is, and then move the timeline on Google to like within the past week or the past month. And you can get a lot of like people, I mean, these are, these are write for us pages or whatever that have been published or updated within the past month. So you can get a lot of, get a lot of opportunities that other people won't see. Okay, so basically the idea there is that most people, they just go to Google and they type niche plus right for us and they find whatever's ranking. So you're not looking for the people who are ranking. You're, you're still using the right for us sort of uh, uh, template structure, but 
you're yeah. finding what's not ranking and so the idea well, is that no one else is at, or fewer other people are outreaching to these sites so it's more likely other people to be are, good. are outreaching for those to those sites because you know the, either they were those right for us pages were just published or they were just updated recently you know so you know that they're actively looking for for guest post writers and you know if it was just published it, it's probably not ranking Awesome. I like that a lot, actually, because I mean, a lot of people hate on right for us pages, but I don't think it's necessarily the fact that someone has a right for us page that makes it a potential, potentially bad link. I think there's probably more of the bad sites do have right for us pages because they're just trying to sell links. But if you have a process like that, or if you if you really analyze it properly, then you can find some really good ones in there as well. Yeah, you can do the same thing for resource pages. You can find if you use the same qualifiers or the or the the vertical with the same same parameters, search parameters for resource pages, and then you use like the the, the timeline tool in the Google search uh, to the past month, then you'll get resource pages that you know are actively being updated. You know because they added a link and it's it says you know it was updated within the past month or whatever. So that's another way you can you can try to hit resource pages that maybe other people aren't seeing, but are also they're actively adding to those pages. So tell me about your your team and your team structure. Do you have different people do each subset of guest posting? Do you have like of uh, link building? Do you have like a guest posting team, the Haro team, the PR team, and how do those people interact? And how, how did you decide to do it in that way? Yeah. So at the core is what we call account managers, right? So they they are kind of the direct contact to the clients. They know what's what's going on, and then everyone else is kind of a service to those account managers. So they do the bulk of work, they do all the organic outreach, paid outreach, they decide if they want to have a guest post on the site or not. And then it kind of trickles out to all the other service parts of the, uh, the company that then provide that service to the account managers. Right? So for Haro, we, the account manager assigns Haro writer who is specialized in that topic. And then the Haro writer will, will go and start pitching and then supply the account managers with successful link placements, right? There's not a lot of interaction there, so they can run independently. With the guest post, it's more active. They will request a guest post within our project management uh, tool. And then the writer will just self-assign and write the post give it back to the account manager and so on, right? So the core is really account managers and then everything else is kind of a service to them. And what type of people do you typically look to hire when you're hiring link builders? I know it's something many people struggle with, especially if you go out and look for people who have a lot of experience in link building, often that's the wrong experience. So what's your secret sauce there? I think that's the interesting thing. We hire specifically for no experience necessarily. We focus on mindset over skill. And I think that's also what makes our culture special because we, we look for people who have a, a certain mindset and certain qualities, we, um, like a growth mindset, intellectual humility, someone who is very reflective and, and open and willing to, to admit mistakes, right? So more softer qualities. And then we teach them. So we have an internal training program. We have a buddy system where someone new will get someone, a buddy assigned to them and they bounce ideas and do the, they do the educational process and the training process together. So yeah, I think that's, that makes us maybe different from everyone else. Because link builders, they, they are trained to do, they, they think in a certain way. And if that's not aligned with how we do it, that's much harder to untrain than it is to train someone who really fits our culture. And then we just 
tell them, hey, this is what you need to do and this is how we approach it. And I think that makes a, makes a much more robust uh, team long term that also that really is a team and not just a bunch of link builders. I think that's uh, what makes it different. And it's so important these days to like learn and constantly be learning to stay ahead of the curve with what other people are, are doing in link building. I imagine at the scale you guys are at, the quality level you guys are at, you're always trying to stay ahead of the curve. And aside from the great resources on Authority Hacker, of course, where do you guys <laughs> go to like, you know, learn this stuff? Honestly, a lot of it comes from like, me mad scientisting you know in my little cave like all like a lot of the stuff that we come up with even for like doing outreach for new clients or doing outreach for to find paid links that other people might not see it's really just me like tinkering around with hrefs and finding new stuff you know because maybe there's there's inspiration that i might take from you know different things that i that i see but it's really just about like diving into but you know backlink profiles of sites that you want to replicate and seeing what kind of trends you see and how, how do you get into mad scientist mode is it usually when you have a, a client who you haven't got enough links for and you're trying to figure out how to do that or what drives that creative process yeah i, I mean i i think it's for Hopefully, we're never in the position where we're, we have a client where we're not building enough links for. Usually, we, by the time we take them on, we realize that or we know that we can have success with them. A lot of the time is when they want something specific or you know something just comes like we had a, a client in the, the keto space and they wanted links on like university pages. So I was trying to figure out like how I could do this at scale. So I thought of like university discount pages, you know, like, okay, uh, so it's like for students who need like a who needed or who want a discount to a to a certain or who get a discount to a, to a certain product. So like I found a couple of them, and then I found kind of like the same people were being listed on those. So I would analyze their backlink profiles and see that they were actually being listed on like you know it's like berries.com being listed on like hundreds you know of these of these pages. It's really just about trying to. That's why we try to communicate with the client openly about what they're what they need, you know, because if they're wanting a certain thing, if they want us to take a certain angle, you know, then I will look into that and try to figure out, you know, what the best, most effective way is to, to accomplish what they're whatever they're trying to accomplish. So I look at their competitors, I find the trends, and then I try to create something or I I create like a really rough view of what it of what it can look like and Sebastian turns into a process. So t tell me a little bit about your turning things into a process process, Sebastian. How do you decide, oh, we need to automate this? And how do you actually go about automating part of your link building? Yeah, I think the, the the first version is really just a rough, rough draft, right? And things will break, and that's fine in the beginning. There is no set process how to turn something into a working process. You have an idea, you try to get a good enough first draft in, in, into place, and then you see what breaks and what takes forever. And from there, then I, I go in and see, okay, example, we have a client and we have to build links for them, but they already have links. How do we make sure that we don't build the same link from the same domain again? Would require, oh, okay, I go to Ahrefs, I go to their backlink profile, type in and do that search over and over and over again. Doesn't make sense. All right, that is a problem. What can I do? I connected the Ahrefs API to our project management system. And whenever someone types, so our guys plan out a month where they want to reach out. So they type in all the sites they want to reach out to. Whenever someone types in a new site, it automatically checks with Ahrefs. Does that link already exist for that client? Yes. 
give them a thumbs down. If not, give them a thumbs up. And whenever they change something, that gets updated. So they can always make sure they're good to go. So right? did, did you physically code that or how did you, yeah. how do you build that? Yeah. And maybe that's a, it's an interesting space for everyone who's a bit more techy. The whole no code space, Zapier or other more complex tools like Integromat, Parabola, they all, you can glue systems together and achieve an insane amount of functionality and automation without any coding skills. I'm not a developer. I don't know how to code. I understand tech to some extent. But with those tools, you can really automate a lot of those repetitive tasks if you understand APIs a little bit, but that's like a weekend investment to, to learn about that. So I really encourage you to, to look into that, that space because that's, I think, a bit of our superpower. It creates leverage that gets you ahead. That's really interesting, actually. So I, I didn't realize like you had no coding experience like that. So that, that's that's awesome. What project management system are you using for this? We run everything on Airtable. That's kind okay. of our core. So our project management to plan each month is in there. All our success metrics are in there. The reporting for the clients is in there. Right. So everything is 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 there, and everyone has just a different view on on the data. Interesting. And then when someone enters. A URL and like a client, I don't know whatever the, in the in the database there. What is actually happening? How how is what you've built checking that against the Ahrefs? Uh, like, can, can you walk us through the automation? Yeah. So the easiest way to do this is with Zapier, for instance. That's uh, probably the, the I most. I think most common. people would know that. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you what you can do in, in Zapier? It actually offers you that that step. It's like listen to a row in Airtable in a specific view. If it changes do something with it, right? That's the first step. And then you decide, what do I want to do with that? The next step would be, okay, I want to check with Ahrefs if that link exists. That's where it gets a bit more techy because Zapier doesn't have a native integration with Ahrefs. But you can look at the API documentation if you understand it a bit. It's really just a link that you copy and it will give you, you call the server and it will give you a result back and say, yeah, there's a link or no, there's no link, literally that, right? And then you use that result to do something else. So, okay, if a link is there, update the same row in Airtable with a thumbs down. If the link is not there, update the same row in Airtable with a thumbs up. It is, in, in a sense, very easy. It just is very intimidating in the first step because you have to understand APIs and it's a bit of process-driven thinking that I think intimidates people. But once you get into it, at some point, it's really just playing Lego. You, you know, okay, step one, two, three, four, five, I understand how it works and, and you, can, you can build a lot with that. I think that'd be really interesting for a lot of people. And I think it's, a lot of this is just about the awareness of, hey, it's actually really easy to do this stuff. For example, knowing that you can set Zapier or whatever tool you're using up to, to listen to a row in Airtable or Google Sheets or whatever you're using, uh, and then have that trigger some other action. I, I think a lot of people out there just don't know that that's, that's how it works. Yeah, and another example is if you do Haro, for instance, and if you record all your Haro pitches, the sites you reached out to, what we do, and that's built in, in, into our tool in Collegeio, what we do is we, we check each day hey, that pitch you sent, did you actually get a link back from that site, right? And that way you can track your success rate with Haro. Not for all sites, anonymous sites, obviously we cannot track, but it makes things easier. It saves 
a few minutes a day, right? And that's already a win. If you do that multiple times, you save an hour or two hours a day and you've made money without doing much. And how long did it, will it take you to build that automation that, that does that? That specifically, I think, took maybe an hour. It's not a lot of lot of time, but you can you can go crazy with that, right? It's like there's no limit of what you can do, but you can start out literally like in ten minutes. Yesterday, I built maybe for outreach. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Lemlist, the outreach tool. What we do is we want to personalize our outreach more. So what I did is our VA creates a Google Sheet with outreach targets, and that gets automatically synced into Lemlist going through um, never bounce to make sure the email is actually valid. If it's valid, it sends it to Lemlist and automatically sets up the campaign, which then creates a highly personalized uh, page with a personal YouTube thump because we have a, a video in there and it looks super personal. It creates a, a special image, takes their logo and makes it just like look like we actually sat there and wrote that email. Um, and that's automation and personalization at scale uh, that you can do when you know a little bit about uh, Zapier and, and these automation tools. And I think that's that can set you apart um, and get a higher success rate, especially with outreach. I think anyone who's doing any kind of serious amount of, of outreach needs to be thinking about how they're automating uh, their, their various parts of their, their, their process, if not you know, significant parts of it in some cases. So the last question I have for you is about email deliverability. I know this has been a, a problem for a lot of people over the years, and it's, it seems to me it's somewhat of a like an SEO style art rather than a, a science. Do you guys have any insights for how to have good deliverability and how to fix it if your deliverability has kind of gone to shit? I think it's hard to fix it when it's gone to shit. To be honest, we, we hired a specialist who advised us on that, especially in the days when we did a lot of shotgun skyscraper and we sent a lot, a lot of emails. We don't do that anymore. And that's that's partly the reason because it can hurt your de deliverability. Uh, a thing we do is we space out our outreach across multiple domains. Um, so we don't hit each domain that hard. I think that's just a hygiene thing you should do from the start if you plan to do more outreach. And then it also depends on the type of outreach you're doing, right? If you do skyscraper, you have to be much more aware. So you can set up your campaigns that every campaign sends an email to Glock apps, for instance, which is a tool to measure your, your de deliverability or mailtester.net, I think. Maybe we can put it in the show notes. Um, so you, you have to monitor it. Do it early. Don't do it after things uh, like shit hit the fan to, to speak French. So be very aware that you have to do this from day one, especially when you if you send higher higher volumes. Then do the, the normal stuff, D, DKIM and all, all the, the protocol set up. And, and yeah, there's certain standards you have to have to apply, but that's just part of every, like just setting up the email, right? DMARC setup, same thing. So just follow the standards and don't spam people. That's what we do. Honestly, that's one of the biggest reasons we got away from like you know automating mass amounts of email is because 
you know, with machine learning, you know, and, and Google, they can detect trends, you know, even at really low volumes. So uh, we were just having so much trouble with it. And even after, you know, if you're doing it across a bunch of clients and you're risking burning their, their sending domains and stuff like that, you know, uh, we just kind of had to rethink our strategy and, and then we re- rebuilt a lot of it. And that's what we're trying to do. We do, you know, use tools like, like, like Mailshake and Responda, but we try to, personalize as much as possible so the emails look quite a bit different and it's we take a lot a much more manual approach these days our our own sending domain dofall.io when we're sending to actually you know get sales and prospects is probably strong enough that we it can handle some automation but especially if it's a brand new site you know i would really try i would really try to create some diversity within your email pitches so that it you know it doesn't detect this you know it doesn't label it as spam and lemless for instance if you want to put in the work allows you to randomize certain aspects of your your script right so you, you write five different versions and it just randomizes whichever it picks so it, it creates some kind of difference in the, in the templates you, you're going to send it's work you have to put in. My recommendation would be just don't scale that much because ultimately it's it's not working, at least in our experience. We started out at scale. That was shotgun skyscraper was our first tactic, so to speak. And at that scale, it's no longer working or it's only working for short-term benefits. Right? And then you have to switch domains over and over, but you also have to warm up domains. Uh, so you actually cannot send that much. You can make it work, but... The hassle of making it work will keep you from focusing on the important things. So it's it's kind of you have to choose which battle to fight. Sure. And we chose not to fight that one. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks very much for coming on today. Dofollow.io is is your website. And and yeah. what type of clients are, are you looking for in case anyone's interested? Yeah. So we are open to most niches, we try to focus more on the tech side of stuff. So cybersecurity, hosting, uh, anything really within the tech realm, SaaS companies. We do require a $3,000 budget per month. But like Sebastian said earlier, it's it's performance-based, so we only charge for, for what we build. Awesome. So people just go on your website and, um, and reach out to you if you want to get in touch? Yeah. And uh, check out linkology.io if you want. And if you go through dofollow.io, say that you came through Authority Hacker, and uh, we'll we'll see. And maybe we'll have them back on if uh, if if you, <laughs> if you do. All right, guys. Well, thanks very much for uh, for coming on today and sharing all these these link building tactics. I know I, I've got a few that I'm eager to try out now. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Awesome. And thanks to everyone for tuning in and, and listening. If you like this interview, if you like hearing more about geeky link building stuff, then let us know. Leave us a, a comment on the, the YouTube video and um, maybe Eric and Sebastian can answer a few of those, those, those comments if people have specific questions about anything we've we've spoken about. But we when Gail and I are looking at what topics and what kind of guests to, to bring on next. We look at user engagement metrics. So if you give us a like, thumb, thumb it up, subscribe, give us a rating on whatever podcast platform you're tuning in on, then you know maybe we'll produce more of the types of content which you like. But for now, I will sign off and we'll see you next Monday for another episode. Goodbye. Goodbye.